Hello and welcome to Root Causes, the PKI and security podcast where a pair of industry veterans talk about all matters, PKI, digital certificate encryption, and more. I am Tim Callen, Senior Fellow at Sictigo, and I am joined as always by Jason Sirocco, COT of IoT at Sictigo. How are you doing today, Jay? Doing great, Tim. Thanks. So we have been talking about quantum computers, their threat to encryption, what needs to happen to solve that, and the progress that's being made in that sphere. And we've been we've had a series of podcasts starting with our podcast five and six. I recommend you look at those and some more recent podcasts as well. And today we're talking about a new development in the space, which is called quantum annealing. Jay, what is quantum annealing? Yeah, thanks, Tim. Yeah, quantum annealing is actually a special case of quantum computing, and it's a, a little different. It's meant to set to solve a different class of problems. Have you ever heard of a company out of Vancouver, Canada called D-Wave? I actually have, as it happens. Yeah, I think a lot of people have, if you've been searching or, or you know, just reading general tech journalism. They're an interesting case where their quantum computing is actually a form of quantum annealing, okay. not a universal quantum computer. So tell me, help me understand the difference between the two. I think we all know what a quantum computer is, at least at a high level. You have these qubits, which work differently than a one-zero gate in that they can have multiple states at once. And as such, they have the potential to be faster and to solve certain specific computing needs much more efficiently. What is that compared to quantum annealing? So there, there is some underlying quantum physics underneath all this. I think that's out of the scope of this conversation. Right. So we're going to keep it at a higher level and, and then bring it back to why this is important for, for cryptographic algorithms and, and quantum resistant stuff that we've been talking about recently, Tim. Yeah, this is a PKI podcast, not a particle physics podcast. So let's, let's make sure we gear it at the appropriate level for that. Quantum annealing, really, it's trying to harness the natural evolution of quantum states. Okay. It's not trying to do things like manipulate them or try to keep them stable for really long periods of time. That's the fundamental challenge of a universal quantum computer because a, a universal quantum computer is really trying, in order to, to do you know, what most people think about, like a gate model quantum right. computer, uh, you're trying to change states and control the changes of the states of the sure. underlying quantum mechanism, right? Right. And that's, and that's difficult. It's very difficult to keep the qubits coherent. And, you know, I could rhyme off all kinds of other buzzwords from, from, that, from that realm. Suffice to say that a universal quantum computer is there's much, much fewer stable qubits uh, in today's world of, of the sort of the state of the art for a universal quantum computer. Right. So uh, quantum annealing is, is really trying to, as I said, harness the natural evolution of the quantum states. It's not trying to wrangle the, the quantum states quite as much or at all. And this is a special case of universal quantum computing that could be referred to as adiabatic quantum computing. Okay. I think those terms, adiabatic quantum computing and quantum annealing, can kind of be used together. And D-Wave is kind of at the forefront of building computing systems that use adiabatic methods. And, you know, I, I actually come from the climatology world from way, way back where, you know, an adiabatic lapse rate, for example, uh, refers to 
the the changes in the in the atmosphere as you go higher higher in altitude and so really this goes back to what i said earlier quantum annealing really is trying to find the minimum energy state of something J- just like in the atmosphere that's why we use that term adiabatic right and it's trying to it's it, if you think about to send a bouncing ball down a slope when does it reach its final state is essentially if you try to, to use the most simplistic analogy possible, you're trying to find the minimum energy state of any given system. That's what quantum annealing is really good at trying to solve. And so let me just jump in real quick. If you want to do some reading on your own, adiabatic is spelled A-D-I-A-B-A-T-I-C. Yeah, and annealing yeah. is spelled A-N-N-E-A-L-I-N-G. Listeners, just if you guys want to read about this later, but go on. So quantum annealing is a process. How, how does this connect to breaking cryptography? We're going to get to that just a, in okay. a second because we, we were, I mean, I attended DEF CON and, and Black Hat just recently in Las Vegas and uh, Andreas Baumhoff out of Quintessence uh, gave a great talk at DEF CON about specifically quantum annealing and he referred to some research that recently came out uh, that provided a fairly massive breakthrough. Uh, this was out of 2018 of Jiang et al. That um, uh, I think the paper that, that was published was titled Quantum Annealing for Prime Factorization. Okay. That uh, was at Purdue and Oak Ridge Labs, the, the, the university researchers that, uh, that, that actually published this. And that's what allowed quantum annealing, uh, that basically trying to use quantum annealing methods to, to basically solve prime factorization, which obviously then lends quantum annealing uh, as, a, as a methodology tool set to be able to then perhaps break current types of cryptography. But let's just go back one step. And that is, you know, currently we're talking about Shor's algorithm most of the time. Like most of the right. time when you're talking about quantum resistance, well, what are you trying to be resistant against? You're trying to be resistant against Shor's algorithm being used on a, a universal quantum computer, right? A, a gate, a gate model quantum computer, for example. And adiabatic quantum computing or quantum annealing, it's not something you run Shor's algorithm on because of the fact that Shor's algorithm requires that complex set of state changes, right? So that's, mm-hmm. that's why you'd use a, a universal quantum computer for Shor's algorithm. So therefore, for since that's not a direct algorithm that you can use in quantum, a quantum annealing computer, what is there? And, and that's where this new research that came out in 2018 and some, some additional advances in 2019 have come out, Tim, to answer your question. Now people have, are using quantum annealing computers to be able to solve prime factorization. So is this a theoretical approach or is this a real approach that's really having results? The, the takeaway, Tim, the takeaway here in terms of results is obviously we don't have, we're, I'm not here to announce that RSA 2048 and elliptic curve have, have been solved, right? right. Those have not been broken because we have not gotten to the number of stable qubits yet in e- right. either a universal quantum computer or quantum annealing. Right. But I think one of the things to keep in mind is that quantum annealing, because of the fact that it's not, well, as I said at the very beginning, it's trying to harness the natural evolution of quantum states. It's, it's not as concerned about having a lot of difficult to 
keep together qubits. In other words, the, the coherence of the qubits is not necessary to, to have in such a stringent state as a, as a universal quantum computer. The end result of that is the number of, of qubits you can, that are currently being run in, in the state-of-the-art quantum annealing computers, such as D-wave computers, those have a much higher qubit. Right. Uh, so therefore, you then have to ask the question, are we further ahead to break RSA and ECC with a quantum annealing computer? So there's at least a chance that a quantum annealing computer is going to accelerate the progress, if that's the word you want to use, toward having a quantum computer that basically renders RSA and ECC unusable. Is, is that a correct statement? I think that's what uh, Andreas Baumhoff was trying to conclude within the, 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 the talk at DEF CON, which is, hey, you know, we, we've, we've heard about all about the Z date uh, out, of, out of University of Waterloo. Right. That is referring to, to a universal quantum computer with, with respect directly to Shor's algorithm. But I think what we have to do now is take a look at some of the other viable means using a quantum computer of a type to and other algorithms that are now now with us and in fact one of the other conclusions that i think andreas braunhoff was making is let's look at all the quick advances that have been made so in other words you get a couple of university researchers yeah. who come up with a bright idea and then a few more researchers down the road go hey i can do that even better and then the right. ro- the ball starts rolling and the the optimizations I think uh, are, this is something that you and I talked about, Tim, in, in, in a previous podcast about Eureka moments that we suspected yeah. there might be one or two. And I think what's interesting is that some of the Eureka moments are happening in some of these alternative methods, such as quantum annealing. Right. And that's one of the, the, the dangers, I think, of discussing the Z date or the Z date is seems unlikely that it is further away then you would predict if you kind of look at a, a progress chart in quantum computers. But of course, we're talking about exactly this. Someone comes and says, oh, I have an entirely different technique. Or, oh, I, I have an entirely different technique for some component of this and it makes it all better. Or I have an entirely different technique and now all of a sudden I don't need as many qubits as we thought, right? And, and as you do these things, those dates could theoretically move forward by big chunks all at once. You asked the question, how real is this? Part of that, that 2018 paper, there was a, an algorithm that was successfully run on a D-Wave 2000Q quantum annealer. So therefore, you know, these, these things are not just on, on chalkboards or in people's heads. Uh, it, it, I think it's at early stages, but, but there is software being run on these types of computers. Right. And again, a reminder for the listeners, you don't even need this to be something that is, you know, mainstream that I can just go out and buy at the local computer store and have on my desk. These could be, as long as this kind of computer can be built and used with some pretty heavy investment of resources, then you still could look at a scenario where a a nation state or a large, uh, very large criminal enterprise could be using them. And once we're at that level, we're at the level 
where basically we need to be worried. So, you know, the fact that this is just running in the university laboratories doesn't mean it's as far off as you might imagine. What I'd suggest to anybody listening right now is to the DEF CON media server for for DEF CON 27 is public right now. Yes. Uh, In fact, Tim, I think you downloaded this paper fairly recently to be able to have a look at it. Uh, The conclusion of it, I mean, there's at least 70 plus slides in in the deck. (laughs) 73. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a pretty heavy deck. But I would say that the conclusion slides are are really worth looking at. And Tim, can I throw a couple of of Andreas Baumhoff's conclusions out at you right now just for your reaction? Please do. Uh, right now, he, he, he interesting how he sets this up. He has myth and reality. So one of the myths he's saying is that Shor algorithm is currently the best known algorithm of two-factor integers. Well, it, it probably is the best known, uh, right. but he's claiming that the reality is that quantum annealing-based algorithms are outperforming Shor's algorithm by a factor of a thousand. Oh, wow. So that's hugely important, right? Because we all, yeah, we all hear about Shor's algorithm. We talk about Shor's algorithm, and and I guess in a classic, I don't know, can you say classic quantum computing is that fair? But in a pure quantum computing environment, it is the best approach. But yeah, if quantum annealing, I mean, that counts as a eureka moment, right? If quantum annealing can be fundamentally better by three orders of magnitude, that's hugely important. Yeah, I think I think Tim, the terminology we're going to have to use, get used to using is universal quantum computing. Gotcha. Or perhaps uh, of which adiabatic quantum computing is part of it, but gate-based, it, it typically is quite often what we're referring to when we're ta- talking about Shor's algorithm. Although other right. other forms of quantum computing can also run Shor's as well, so it gets complicated. But I think universal quantum computer versus a quantum annealing computer is the, the terminology we should be using. All right. So give me another myth. Shor's algorithm will eventually break cryptography. I mean, isn't that something we've been talking yes, about for a while? Of course, while now? everybody knows that. Sure. Uh, reality Shor's mm. algorithm was never meant to be implemented. Derivations of it will be used to break cryptography. Okay. So that's that's. That's a fair that's a fair comment. It's a subtlety. But the point being that it was work that was done as a result of Shor's algorithm that's really going to break cryptography. But it was work that was done as a result of Shor's algorithm that got us to where we are with quantum computers in the first place. Absolutely. So another one of these, remember we talked about the Z date, uh, quantum computing may be 20 years away and not 10 years. In other words, there might be some people out there saying the Z date might be just too aggressive. The reality in, in this conclusion is it all depends on the breakthroughs in the number of stable yeah. qubits, the quality of the qubits, the quality of gate operation, and the op- optimizations in algorithms. And right. I, I think what the conclusion the author here is trying to make is, if you take a look at the breakthroughs over the past, all those four areas in the past six years, it probably would be a bad assumption to assume that the breakthroughs are going to either slow down or not happen at all from now on. Hugely important. And again, let's remember, you know, one zero gate based computing has, you know, a legacy that goes back to the 1950s, right? And so it's very stable 
compared to quantum computing, and that means it's better understood and better understood what were going to happen. And right, likewise, RSA has a legacy that goes back to, you know, at least the 1980s, I think the 1980s. And once again, so that it's very stable, it's very tested. A lot of people have poked at it a lot of different ways. One of the things that's important about quantum computing and about the new quantum resistant cryptographic techniques that we're going to be looking at is they're very new. They haven't gone through the same level of vetting and testing and just real world rigorous survival that these other ones have. And as a consequence, there's much more opportunity for unknowns. Hey, so yeah. th- let's think now also about quantum annealing computers and other areas where, the, where they're used. Okay. Because anywhere where there's a big commercial push on something, there's, I mean, money will follow, obviously, right? Right. And, and take a look at, you know, why is D-Wave building these computers? They're, they're not building them for fun. They're building them <laughs> because of the fact that, you know, they solve major commercial problems. Any types of these optimization issues of which prime factorization just happens to be one, now that we've, we've seen the research, uh, it's, it's tremendously powerful for things such as artificial intelligence and, you know, machine learning, all these things that have become buzzwords, essentially these are optimization problems and they, they can mathematically be broken down to do so. So therefore, when you need an incredibly powerful, quick determination of a, the best, most optimal solution for a given uh, problem set uh, or a current state of a, of a, of a world, a, a quantum annealing computer might be all you need. You might not right. need a, a universal computer. And so I think that's why D-Wave's in business, and that's why they're trying to, to, to have bigger and bigger quantum annealing computers all the time. So I, I just think it's interesting, Tim, that yeah. you know, some of the, 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 the rapid pace of optimizations in quantum annealing computers is because of the fact that uh, it, it's not just, it's sure. not just cryptography because the rest of the commercial world's very interested in solving these problems. And when there's commercialization, when there's economies of scale, when there's real world problems and money to be made, one of the things you you see is that technology progress increases. Just because more people are working on it, more people are probably sol- trying to solve it. There's more innovations. Um, things like manufacturing and supply chain just get better. And, and that ultimately means that progress advances. So the more uses that there are for a quantum annealing solution, the more we should expect quantum annealing hardware and software to make faster progress. I I think that's an important point. And the other important point connected to that, of course, is that you find that different knowledge and application gets applied different ways, right? So uh, as people are working on one aspect of quantum annealing, one of the consequences is some smart person is going to say, aha, I can apply that over here as well. And that's the other thing you see when a technology platform is used uh, broadly and massively is more of this kind of cross-pollinization of ideas occurs. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, so that's it, Tim. I, I really think uh, this podcast was about trying to raise the awareness of, a, of different algorithms, different ways of thinking, not just Shor's algorithm. Uh, and in fact, we could have even other podcasts about other algorithms that have been around for a while as well, specifically to solve prime factorization on classical computers. Uh, yeah. So 
you know, and, and those are getting better by the day as we speak. So, uh, you know, cryptographic agility, very important. I, I think yes. that's the, that, that's the main conclusion. Right. And so for the listeners, um, the Andreas Baumhoff, B-A-U-M-H-O-F, gave the presentation at DEF CON 17. The presentation, I, I brought it up here, was called, Are Quantum Computers Really a Threat to Cryptography? A Practical Overview of Current State-of-the-Art Techniques with Some Interesting Surprises. So that gives you a whole lot to search on <laughs> uh, between the bunch of those things. You absolutely can find this. It's a publicly available paper. It's an interesting read. For sure. And if this is a topic you like, that's a great source to go to. And again, we talked about some of the other resources you can do. So as always, Jay, this is an evolving topic and we are going to stay on top of it. Yeah, we're absolutely going to keep on top of this. And in fact, we're guaranteed to have some more podcasts, perhaps some guests soon. It's a big topic. I think for, for all certificate authorities, we need to be right on top of this stuff, not just from understanding it, but also from the implementation part of it. That's something we'll be talking about down the road as well. All right. Well, thank you very much, Jay. It's always a pleasure. Thanks, Tim. All right. This has been Root Causes. <laughs> <laughs>